Greetings friends, I'm Will Nicholas from Never Odd or Even and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast exploring faith and fiction. Deep Space Nine. It's a wonderful reflective moment. Flame the dark. True salt wave. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. What's going on? Why is this being highlighted? That itself is another interesting question, isn't it? I think I'm starting to get why this science fiction thing is uh, <laughs> uh, is so attractive. You'll, you'll make a sci-fi fan out of me yet. G'day friends, it's Will Nicholas here again, and this is another episode of Deep Faith Nine. This episode, Civil Defence, is the seventh episode in Season 3, where the station goes into lockdown. Ooh, I don't like that word, lockdown. It means something completely different now. Uh, and the crew is endangered when an old Cardassian security program is accidentally activated. The crew have to break up into small teams, isolated and separated from each other, attempting to blindly work out how to get control of the station back. Uh, joining me to discuss this episode, Civil Defence, today is Karen Mitchell-Lambert, who's been on the show lots of times before. Karen, great to have you on board today. Thanks, Will. Great to be back. Always love to chat about these things. Right, look, it's it's such a pleasure to be able to sit and, and have a, a dedicated period of time just to actually chat with a friend about Star Trek. I mean, you don't get that option very often, do you? What a privilege. <laughs> no, it's usually brushing around trying to live life. <laughs> so it's lovely. So uh, what did you think of this episode? Unfortunately, I think, as I said to you, as we were preparing for today, I've dropped you into another bad uh, <laughs> bad people doing bad things to people episode again. That seems to be your theme, although that wasn't the intention today. It, it would seem that these things are regular in my life when we talk about Star Trek. Um, look, it, it was an interesting episode. I tried not to get too intense about it. I tried to just kind of, I'm just going to go the ride and just watch what happened. And, you know, I loved how um, it kind of accidentally all started. You know, we've accidentally triggered this whole security system um, and we had no idea what we were trying to do. You know, we we're tr just trying to clean up the mess in from the past and try and, you know, get a new start going. That's odd. What's that, Chief? Well, the file has no name, no indication what it is. I'd better set it aside for now. I can transfer it to the central database in Ops and analyze it in the morning. Wait a minute. Unauthorized computer entry detected in ore processing unit five. Enter access code. Incorrect code. You have five seconds to enter correct access code. Or what? Oh, I don't know. I better stop it. Warning. Worker revolt in progress in ore processing unit 5. Security countermeasures initiated. What the hell? This file that we had no idea what it was about and no idea what it was going to do, but we're just trying to delete it and instead what we do, we activate it and it sends our life into an utter turmoil. And, uh, yeah, I just, I kind of loved how, how often does that happen? You know, you're trying to clean things up, you're trying to get things organised and voila, you've triggered, you know, something from your life that that has all these consequences and all of a sudden you're like, but I, but I was 
trying to get my stuff together. I was just trying to get sorted. <laughs> what the heck just happened? You know? Um, yeah. And it happens more often than, you know, um, especially with digital technology and computers. And, uh, you know, we've all in some ways been thrown into the deep end of, of digital curation and, uh, and using computers for, for community events and liturgy for church and places like that. There only has to be one file out of place, one click in the wrong spot, and suddenly everything that you've had lined up gets gets thrown into chaos. I mean, even today, preparing for today's uh, podcast, I had one sound setting wrong, and so it took us all this time to actually get ready to, to go and do something that shouldn't have taken any time at all. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you went technology because I went relationally because yep. that's kind of my world. And like how often in relationships you can be going along and everything's all good and fine and then all of a sudden you kind of stumble across something that you had no idea was there and there's all these consequences that come from it or you get a reaction from someone that you weren't expecting and you're like, where the heck did that come from? You know, And it just goes to show that, that often there's these hidden files in our lives that we kind of forget about or ignore or pretend that are not there or we're actually not even aware that we're there and we find ourselves reacting to stuff that yeah we had no concept about so yeah that was that kind of resonated with me and thinking about how we react often in life and yeah and then the continue as we go through the story about the different way people were reacting to that you know major kira pulls out the phases and just is going to shoot everything like you know that's how we deal with it there's a problem something's happened i'm just going to shoot it so that it'll stop. And she does that. She does that twice in the episode. She <laughs> yeah, shoots. Yeah, she shoots yeah. the door and the life support system. And I, when she shot the life support system this time, I'm thinking, gosh, I hope they don't need that later. Um, <laughs> well, isn't there an off switch? Uh, you know, like maybe there's a Could like someone a, like pull the wire out or something. Maybe yeah, yeah. Been a better way to do it. Maybe just unplug it or something. But no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. pull out the phaser and blow it up. That's that, that is. <laughs> How she fixes it. Now, th this isn't the first time that um, uh, Chief of Operations Miles O'Brien has found an anomalous file and triggered a station-wide disaster in the process. Uh, actually, very early on in Deep Space Nine in the episode Babel, uh, I had Lindsay Cullen on um, for the, as a guest for that particular episode. Um, there's a very, very similar storyline, uh, although... Um, it's not so much a lockdown, it's just that they all they, they, they contract this virus through the replicator system. But yeah, so so this is not the first time that we've actually had this system wide failure um and um and caused people to be in harm's way. Um yeah. but you know, Brian this time doesn't have a programming solution for this one. He's they're actually really hands on. They have to get their, their, their hands dirty and greasy as they work their way through the uh, Uridium ore processing um, plant. Yeah. And like all they could do is the next thing. And, you know, they went and did the next thing, going, making a whole bunch of assumptions. I don't know if you noticed that, but like every time they did the next thing, they're like, okay, that'll give us 12 hours before we run out of air. Yep. So, you know, we've got 12 hours to fix it all. And then it's like, oh no no we've now I triggered something else that means we've now only got two hours to do it where we thought we had 12 hours so everything they thought well yeah okay this makes logical sense that if we do this then this will happen and then actually totally the opposite happens and you're just in that next level of crisis the next level of crisis the next level of crisis that just keeps coming and coming and coming and you know you just you can't 
you've got to just deal with what's in front of you. You can't, you know, okay, let's sit down and have a 15-minute planning session about how we're going to deal with this. No, it's like, okay, the next problem's happen. What are you going to do, you know? Yeah. And we've got, um, I guess, a crisis like this gives us a whole lot of opportunity for character development. So we, we, we lock Odo and Quark in the security office. Leave me alone, Quark. No, no. There's something very wrong going on, and this is the safest place in the whole station. I think I'll stay right here. Um, and that <laughs> yeah. gives them time to, to talk uh, in a way they, they don't normally talk to each other and they've got to connect with each other. And, and likewise, uh, Jake and Cisco and O'Brien, um, problem-solving, climbing through tunnels, getting burnt to death, um, yeah. you know, all of those kind of... Um, moments and then there's the ops people as well all, all up there trying to work out how to make their way as well yeah like and each three of those different storylines there's great things to unpack in that isn't there like you know um I, I loved how with Odo and Quark you know Odo tries to say some things that are comforting to him that you know other people would find offensive but no you know he knew what to say but when you get to the end of it it's like oh no I didn't actually mean that <laughs> that's actually you know I didn't mean it at all I was just trying to be nice you know like yeah just those kind of things with that relationship and you know yeah so, and at, at the end of that, Quark actually gets to read his security file and is very disappointed yes. about how short it is and how how uh, how how little information there is in his file. Well, and you know he sees himself as a crime mastermind, you know, and that he's got all these deals going on and everything like that. And you know, Odo's like, yeah, he thinks he's smarter than he actually is. <laughs> it's like, oh, burn. <laughs> Just, yeah. Part of one of the dilemmas in, in that comes up in this episode for Quark and but also for for O'Brien and Cisco is how we face how we face death, um, and um, yeah. like one of the things it's a real uh, Kobayashi Maru for Star Trek fans. This is this is the 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 uh, the the old Star Trek Kobayashi Maru, the no win situation. Uh, yeah. As you say, no matter yeah. how how easy. It, I mean, I, I'm really pleased to up. Uh, to to make reference to that because uh, um, on the 22nd of March, so that's uh, Monday uh, coming after this pod podcast released, is uh, William Shatner's birthday and he'll be turning oh. 90 this year. Um, what? So, yeah, 90 years of age, the, the old Captain Kirk. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Message, Spock? None that I'm conscious of. Except, of course, happy birthday. Surely... The best of times. Happy birthday. I don't know what to say. Well, you could say thank you. Thank you. So happy birthday to William Shatner, yeah. if you're listening. Um, happy like, birthday, William. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, Captain. Uh, Ca Captain. Yeah, Admiral. No, he's the captain. He, he went to Admiral and got bumped back down. All right. But, but yeah. that Kobayashi Maru, that, that no-win situation, um, yeah. There are certainly lots of times in life where there doesn't seem to be a viable option. Um, and, yeah. and in that, Captain Kirk says, how we face death is, is as important as how we face life. Yeah. And I think it's in those moments of having to face death, face those major crises, is what, what do you do with that? Like, yeah, how do you... Are you going to hide? Are you going to, you know, try and solve it? Are you going to fight it? You know, are you going to sacrifice yourself for others? Like there's just, yeah, so many ways to think through that, you know. 
yeah. and it's really impossible to know how we're going to respond to that until we're we're there. Like you know, you yeah. can you can say I'd like to think or I plan to do or um, uh, you know and and. And and in those moments, especially in the helpless moments, um, things like regrets come forward. I mean, that was largely what happened with Quark. He's he's he started to list off the fact that he wanted to do all these things, but now can't. You know, he's he's gonna end up being exploded on a on a um, <laughs> on a, on a starship on the edge of the galaxy uh, instead of having his own moon like his cousin Gala. Yeah. Like the other one, the other bit that kind of stood out for me was um, Gold, when Goldcut gets the message that, you know, um, from himself that, you know, you need to come and help. And he turns up and then and puts all these demands on of like, I'm going to make it all better. I'm going to be the fabulous one. I'm going to save you in this moment. Um, and But I'm going to just leave for a moment while you make that decision. I'll be in t- back in 20 minutes. Like, so you've only got 10 more minutes left to think about it. And um, and in doing so, actually creates the situation even worse, and is accused of of being a coward and running away from the situation. So he comes in all trying to be powerful and strong and in control and using it to manipulate the situation, and then he ended up just as vulnerable as everybody else, you know. And and I think it's in those moments of facing death that we can all go into it thinking that we're great, we've got it sorted, we know how to deal with this, you know, and from a whole range of areas, you know, we we might have been a great social worker, a counsellor or a minister or, you know, who knows, we might think we've got it sorted, but that moment of facing death, actually everyone is totally disempowered. Everybody ends up in the same boat. Everybody has to face the consequences of that themselves, you know, um, whatever that's going to look like and... And it's it's always fascinating. I had an incident happen this week where which I've been kind of brewing on a little bit about, you know, before you're in a situation and then when you find yourself in a situation. You know, when you're young, you've got a lot of opinions about things, like, you know, about parenting and about, you know, all sorts of things, relationships and about all sorts of stuff. But when you actually find yourself in that situation, you discover there's a whole bunch of different situations going on, you know. Um, for example, um, you know, I've always looked at situations as parents, as a parent, like, and with parents with older kids, that as their kids go away, you know, there's a, new, there's a whole identity struggle that goes on about, well, who are you now that you're not a parent, like now that your kids have grown up and you don't need to be that parent anymore? And I had no idea that there's actually just this massive bomb of grief that drops in the middle of all of yeah. that. And yep. and it's only from being living that experience that I go, holy moly, like it isn't just something that you just, well, just find yourself some hobbies and just, it's like, yeah, no, that, that ain't going to cut it. <laughs> and like, I, I can tell you approaching that for the second time that, that, you know, whilst you might have some wisdom gained from that, that just because you've had life experience of something once, it doesn't mean that, that, that when it occurs again, it's the same or that you can actually use the same process or method to work your way through it either. So so there's a sense in which you kind of you never prepared. Every every time we live vulnerable. Yeah, every time we live a new experience, we we actually I think being vulnerable is really important. And and there's that that moment in that scene you talked about where Gold Ducott is actually recognizing that he's now in in the crap with the rest of them. Energize Ducott. If 
you are seeing this recording, it means you tried to abandon your post while the station's self-destruct sequence was engaged. That will this not be is permitted. Outrageous. You have lost control of Terra Knorr, disgracing yourself and Cardassia. Your attempt to escape is no doubt a final act of cowardice. All fail-safes have been eliminated. Your personal access codes have been rescinded. The destruct sequence can no longer be halted. All you can do now is contemplate the depth of your disgrace. Uh-oh, now I'm, my, I, I, I'm now part of this. Um, <laughs> and I'm just as vulnerable as they are. Like, I don't have the magic key. I don't have the magic password anymore. What the heck do we do now? You know, I'm in it, you know. I take a great deal of heart from this. I mean, this being a faith podcast, um, that that even the figure of Jesus, um, when faced with with death in the Garden of Gethsemane, finds himself in 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 a situation where vulnerably, um, he's he's overwhelmed for the experience, an experience that he knows is coming, and has actually yeah. made reference to lots and lots of times. But but there in the garden, as it's beginning to happen. You can really see with those those tears of blood or sweating blood and 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 the words that are being said that that that, that being in the situation is actually very difficult to different to talking about the situation yeah. or trying to anticipate yeah. it. Yeah, and like for me, that actually brings me huge amounts of comfort. Yeah, that Jesus is actually fully human in that moment. That he understands what it's like to be vulnerable, to not have all the answers, to not have the magic code key ready to go, and so he can just step in and fix it like that. He actually fully gets how we feel in those moments when we have totally lost control and we just can't. There's nothing we can do. There is just nothing we can do. You know like this tragedy that's unfolding has got this comedy element to it. Um, it's really interesting though, in the reading I was doing before this, um, is, is that, um, once, um, he finds himself trapped, uh, but he still, Goldicott still continues this bravado and pretending yeah. that he's got it all together. Um, Garak calls him on it and says, you know, you know, it's really not going to matter. And not only that, but he's, he's, he's wanting to impress major Kira um, this is the yeah. first episode where we actually learn that Goldicott has always had a thing for Major Kira. Um, it's interesting that you said that because when because I watched it again like the other night, like it was my first time, and I'm like, did he really? Or you know, like, are you reading too much into that? Or you know, um, yeah. I don't no, know. They they certainly that was the intention to try and flag this and and it does develop over time that he actually it it becomes after this episode it becomes worse it becomes like an, a sickening obsession um and 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 it's really interesting because um when uh, and this is spoilers for anybody who hasn't watched the rest of the series but when the when the the crunch comes and the apocalyptic moment occurs between the parathes and the prophets on board the station, it's actually between these two that Goldicott yeah. actually embodies yeah. all that's evil, um, and and Major Kira embodies all that's good, and they have this this apocalypse showdown on on the promenade. Um, so this tension that they're wanting to begin here in this episode actually grows okay. throughout throughout the story. Um, yeah. 
and and it's really interesting because when Nana Visitor was first spoken to about playing this role, she actually said, "No, I don't want to do it." She said, "This is bad writing." It's it's, and and I've got a quote here. She said, "I would have liked my character to make the point that only a few years earlier, Ducat wanting me would have meant that he could have had me. Um, yeah. He had the power, and he, I wouldn't have been able to do anything about it." Uh, yeah. And so it shouldn't be seen as a cute moment as it was. Um, it was actually a horrifying moment. And I did find it yeah. very cringy this time. Yeah, um, yeah. No one, uh, one that would make Kira feel disgust and panic. To Kira, Ducat is, Ducat is Hitler. And she's yes. never going to get over that. She can yeah. never forgive him. And that's important to me is what Nana Visitor said. Kira may have started to see Cardassians as individuals, so we're seeing that through her development, but she will always hate Goldicott. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me it was a bit confusing about, like, why would Goldicott want that? Why would he want her approval, her attention? Like, for me it was just like the, this is the ego of who he is. So when he calls him on it as about it being trying to you know, impress Kira. I'm like, really? He's just being himself. He's just, yeah. So it's so it's interesting that you're saying this is kind of preempting that relationship. And right, the, the thing that I noticed about it was exactly that: is that had had this actually been before, he would have just taken her, and yep. had she would have had no say in it whatsoever. And it's it's pretty gross. <laughs> it is. It's it's a it's a horrific moment. Uh, and and. Yeah. Um, I mean, they actually listen to to this um, voice that Nana Visitor brings to this because in subsequent episodes, Ducat's longing for Kira takes on a much more sinister tone um, yeah. and it becomes very cringy. But I, I think it's interesting that it begins here with this kind of cute moment, as as uh, Nana Visitor put it, um, because, because we do cover over um, horrific events in the public arena with, with cute moments. Um, we yeah. do cover up massive entitlement and, and power imbalances and injustices sometimes with, with humorous. And I mean, we've, we've seen this in, in Australian politics over the last um, few yeah. weeks where, where we've actually had some, some horrific things happen um, that have just been discarded by acute conversations about people talking about their families or trying to humanize themselves rather than actually address the real situation that's going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I thought exactly the same thing is that, and and I think it's it's part of Australian culture and I've seen it happen several times over. And but let's be clear, Australian Anglo culture um, is that it, that whole let's make a light of this you know we're just going to joke about it so that it doesn't we don't actually have to deal with the seriousness of what's going on here we, we can just kind of you know ah, they were just trying to be funny you know yeah. and and we don't actually nobody has to take responsibility for what they're actually doing or that their actions have consequences for other people and that those other other people don't always like those consequences you know but oh it's all right she'll be right mate don't worry about it you know you don't you know don't take offense to that he's just mucking around but actually it does hurt and it does have consequences for other people and it does damage our relationships you know and and that that has long-term effects it's not just but to just kind of brush it under the carpet and make out the and and I think like you know we 
we do have a problem in Australia with domestic violence. We're back here again, Will. How do we get here? But we do. And and I think it's part of that. We we can't talk about the fact that when someone's joking around and they say mean things or do mean things or they're drunk or whatever it is, that makes it okay. And it's like, actually, it's not okay. It's never okay. You know, yeah. And, but and I how think, do we name that? How do I we think, talk about that in real ways when the only way that people are t- talking about it is to muck around with it? You know, just, yeah. Well, well we're doing that now. Um, and I think that's why we've, we've had to keep talking about it is, is that um, over the years, this is a known issue. Uh, and, and actually having um, speakers like Grace, Grace Tame, who, who's our Young Australian of the Year, be able to get up and speak with such authority but vulnerability at the same time actually calls us into a in, into a place and I I wonder well I hope at the moment there might be an opportunity for for us as a community to come together and really work through um, why these social injustices actually continue to exist and why why we actually allow silence to continue when we should actually be be talking about it yeah and you and i have talked quite a bit over the years that it's one thing to empower women to speak up and to be able to say what's happened to them and to try and be taken seriously but actually for this to change requires that blokes actually need to take it seriously and listen as well and find ways to be fully present in that moment, even when it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and it makes you mad and it makes you angry and and you're hurt by this. How do we actually work through that? How do we be fully present in that moment? And, and that whole expectation that, you know, this is work we need to do as a whole society. You know, we need to think about how we're raising our boys you know, the kind of language that we're using, you know, how and being real and, and saying this is awkward and it's uncomfortable and it's hard, but we need to talk about this, you know, yeah. And and the response, I, I want to say this very clearly, the response is absolutely not um, from from men who are actually trying to do or, or, or live their lives in a way that, that's that's equal and fair and just is, is not to actually come out with a not all men. This is not the time to actually say, oh, but I do this and I do this, so I'm not included in this group. It's it's not the time to do that. It's the time to listen. And if it makes us feel uncomfortable and it makes us go, I feel threatened by this because it could, it could imply that I'm actually a, a bad person, then we have to actually dwell with that. We have to live with that. We have to stay with that. And I, I really yeah. like the way that Garrick... Garrick takes the step here of, of confronting Goldicott. He calls it. I set up this program, and I assure you, Major, I will find a way to defeat it. There is no dilemma that cannot be solved by a disciplined Cardassian mind. It's not going to work, you know. What are you babbling on about now? I'm talking about Major Kira. What about her? She's much too busy trying to save this station to be impressed with your incessant posturing. Garrick! And even if she weren't, she has much better taste than to be attracted to you. You, a married man. That's, that's the voice, that, that, that we don't need men to come back to women who are saying this is happening with, but I'm a good guy. We need men to actually... Um, get on with having the courage to step up and say, I'm calling this bad behaviour when I see it. 
Um, yeah. And and that's what we need need to have have to start happening around the place. Not to say, I didn't read the report, or I didn't want to know about it, or I didn't know what was going on. We 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 really need men and and men in leadership to to step up and actually start calling the bad behaviour for what it is. And and I think one of the problems we've got with that will is that people go oh well they didn't mean it that way and they yeah. didn't you know and so you can't you can't take what they said or how they met like because they didn't actually mean it that way i still think we need to call it out yeah. because by calling it out what we do is we start the conversation that says i know you didn't mean it that way but when you said this or when you did this this is what happened for me and that actually hurt and that, that was painful. And I understand and appreciate you didn't mean it that way. How could we do this differently? Because when you do that, it's not okay. You know, and, and being able to work through that. Because, look, we stuff up all the time. I mean, I think this, again, conversations that we've had about sin and grace. Nobody is perfect here. Like, nobody gets this right first time, you know, and I work in a whole bunch of cross-cultural situations and I'm just learning so much about how my own Anglo background, things that I do and that I say, and, Will, I love everybody. I want to be, you know, I want to love everybody. I want to see everybody reach their best potential. I want to do that to the very best of my ability. But I have a massive blind spot because I'm an Anglo woman. And so there's things that I don't understand and I don't mean to say and I don't mean to do that cause harm for other people. And because I'm now aware of this, I'm discovering I do it even more than I thought I did it. I thought I only did it occasionally, but then I'm like, oh, oh, hang on, I said that and I didn't actually mean that. Like, But we, we only get better at that, at being respectful about being appreciative and humble and, and dealing with our stuff if, if we practice it, if we practice trying to talk honestly with each other. And it's so hard. Like it means that I have to be vulnerable. It means I have to go to the young women that I'm working with and I'm saying, okay, I'm not really sure about this. I said this, but I don't think it got heard the way I meant it. Can we unpack that? Can we? Can you help me so that I can learn from this and so that next time I don't make such an idiot of myself, you know? And, like, if we accept that we're all growing people and we're all going to make mistakes and we're all products of our culture, but if we come into it with an attitude of humility and of I wanting to grow and I want to know more because I want to be the best human being I can be so that I can also help other people be the best human beings they can be, it changes the dynamic and that for me is what the call of Christianity is about. It, it challenges me to realise I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to fix it. I, you know, I can come in as bravado as, and think I've got those codes, but I don't. And, you know, but together we can sort this out. You know, we can work through together about what this looks like and, and, and I become a better person because of it, you know. But if you're humble about it and you're willing to acknowledge that, the journey goes so much easier and so much better for everybody involved in comparison to just no. <laughs> and that really brings us around to the to the meta story of this whole episode, really, that their reactions to the situation um, always make things worse. Yeah. That that the more they react, the more they 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 respond um, impulsively to try and actually escape from the trap they're in, the more trapped they become. And like you said, the less time they've got. 
I found it really interesting. I don't know whether they intended it, and sometimes I read things into symbols into things that don't exist. But at the at the end of the episode, what they're faced with is the warp core reactor of the ship, or the, the warp core, not, not not the warp core, the, the 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 energy reactor of the ship going critical and blowing the whole ship yep. up. Um, and they they have been throughout the episode moving towards how do I stop this from happening how do i stop this from happening all the way through and then miles o'brien recognizes and the captain uh commander work together and coming up with a plan to say we're not going to be able to stop the explosion from happening we're not going to be able yeah. to contain it we're not going to be able to hold it and so they say well what we need to do is release it and we need to release it into the shields because the shields can disperse it the shields can yeah. can take it and i think there is a really really good metaphor in there for for how Often in life we'll react and we'll, we'll respond and we'll attempt to contain, we'll attempt to suppress, we'll attempt to, to, to stop explosions from happening. When in fact, my, my experience of life has told me that, that actually allowing explosions to occur in relationships and in other places in a way that, that allow them to disperse and allow them to, 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 be, to be heard but move, move forward from that place and not consume or destroy... Um, is actually the, the 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 way that that we grow. Yeah, yeah, and all that energy actually goes towards something good, protecting people. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. The other one that I found really interesting was Jake and Cisco, particularly towards the end. That um, Cisco had kind of said to Jake, "Will you go and get onto the um, the oh, what's it called?" Like, you know, I want you to go. I want you to get off the off the ship. And he's like, no, if we're going to go, we're all going together and I'm part of this. And just, you know, how often we want to rescue and protect people that we love. And so we're like, we, I'll do it and you you go off and you I'll just I'll deal with all of this and you can kind of I don't want you to have to deal with the consequences of it. I will just deal with it. And but actually Jake had a choice to be able to participate in this or not you know and often we don't talk as families about the stuff that's uncomfortable and the th things that are difficult because we want to protect everybody else from this we just want to we'll just look after the trauma ourselves we'll just deal with this on our own but actually we need to allow people in on that journey with us and and to help us because in the end you know Jake saved Miles because he put, you know, he pulled him out of the way because out. he was there. You know, he he was he wanted to be part of the solution and he wanted to help. And you know, I just think that's such great role modeling of, you know, you're not in this on your own. There are people around you who love you, who want to help you, who want to go this journey with you. Don't shut them out. You know, they're they're you. We talk about it in our team as about they're your cheer squad. You need your cheer squad to actually help you get through these things, you know. You don't have to do this on your own. And, and actually we're all stronger and better from going this journey together. Yeah, yeah I really loved that. And for, for Jake and Benjamin, there's a real historical grief wrapped up in it. Ben's wife, Jennifer, who is Jake's mother, dies in a very similar kind of, you know, starship exploding accident they had to leave yeah. her behind um and and I, I can see why jake's kind of really wanting to say well look i mean i lost my mum already through this 
Yeah. Um, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand by and and just uh, abandon ship and and lose my dad as well. Yeah. Um, so and and look, we get future episodes where that actually occurs as well. Where where I think there's an episode where where Cisco gets pulled through time. Um, he gets caught in some kind of time space rift, and Jake just will not let go. He will. He yeah. he he comes back and he keeps looking for his dad for his whole life. I've just been doing some research recently about. Um, families and how much our kids actually learn from us and so when we look at Jake and then we look at Ben and we look at the life that Ben and his wife lived why are we surprised that Mm. Jake behaves like this you know and so often we don't realize how much our values the things that we think are important the way we choose to live our life actually impact on our kids without us saying a word like we, we haven't even realised that what we're doing actually is impacting on our kids, you know, and, and that works both for good and for bad. Yep. You know, and just how, maybe we need to pay attention to that sometimes, you know, and it works out even, even though Ben might not be comfortable with Jake actually making that decision, there's, there's a sense of peace of... I understand why you're making that decision, you know, and okay, I've got to let you do this. We're we're to that next stage of our relationship where I can't just keep trying to protect you all the time. You are part of this story too. And you want to be part of this story too, you know? Um, Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about Elam Garrick um, as a character uh, and in yep. particular, um, about, about citizenship in relation to Elam Garrick in this one. Now, it's fascinating to me that, that there's that scene where everyone's trapped, everyone's locked down, no one can go anywhere, and then, and then Garrick is just walking from space to space because yeah. he's a Cardassian citizen and the, the space station has been set up to allow Cardassian citizens to be able to pass through force fields, open doors, have access to all areas because of his citizenship. Um, so, so by the by the very fact of his his DNA, his birth, that he actually has access um, and can can do all of these things, and 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 even uh, he's he's he doesn't recognise his citizenship at one stage because they um they beam this uh, or replicate this this device that starts firing beams out into the the ops area and. Garrick has taken cover like everyone else, not realizing that it won't fire upon him because it's designed not to target Cardassians. Um, yeah. Um, and and that's why Ducott's just standing there in the open and not being hit by any of it, confidently orchestrating this great ego trip um, with or with um, the the phaser fire all around him. So citizenship actually um is is almost sometimes a, a secret or unknown or noticed power that we actually have um that um that that we we really need to be very conscious of yeah yeah absolutely and like for me that's been the big awakening around white privilege and you know i grew grew up with not thinking i had a lot of privilege you know and a, a whole bunch of issues in my family life but actually when i talk to people about the experience of not being able to walk into a shop without feeling like someone thinks you're about to steal something or not have a police officer come up to you and being afraid that you're about to be arrested because of the colour of your skin. I'm like, but hang on, what are you talking about? Or the assumption that, of course, well, you mustn't be very clever because you're not white, you know, and 
you're just like, where does this even, you know, for me, who I thought didn't even realise that this was the experience of people, but of particularly people of colour, and, and it is. But, yeah, and just not being aware that, well, of course I can walk through walls, you know, of course, not walls, but walk through doors when everybody else can't. And, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. And, like, I think one of the things that's really difficult about that is that you can't even see it. So, you know, I work with a bunch of PIs and um, a bunch of Koreans as well, and you can see their culture very clearly. And when I talk to them about their culture and they say to me, but Karen, you've got a culture too, I'm like, well, not really. Like I don't have cool music like you do or wear certain clothes like you do or talk with a certain language like you do or any of those things. And they go, yes, but you still have stories and you still have things that are important to you. And it's, it's interesting as I spend more and more time trying to genuinely be humble with people from other cultures that I actually discover there are a lot of things that are different. You know, there are a lot of things that we just live as part of our culture that we don't even see, but when you see it from the outside, you go, oh my goodness. So that's what makes, you know, Anglo culture what it is, or, you know, white Western culture what it is. But when you, when you live it as part of the dominant culture, because that's what you think everybody is like, you've got no idea that actually for other people, it's really different. You and know, we have um, we have defaults that we we fall back on. You know, when we we yeah. talk about culture, so we 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 wanna we wanna talk about Vegemite and uh, meat pies, <laughs> kangaroos, and Holden cars. You know, we 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 kind of get get caught up in the mythology of of what in our case Australia is is like, um, which actually doesn't take into account anywhere near the richness of our Australian culture, and sometimes yeah. incorporates myths about violence and about power um, that are actually really, really destructive for people uh, in, in, um, in, in minority groups or, or, or First Nations peoples. Um, you know, when, when we, we say words like um, when Australia was discovered. Uh, I remember watching the documentary that was on the ABC, In My Blood It Runs. It was about a young uh, First Nations boy who... Um, was 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 struggling with school and trying to make his way forward and right. there's a scene of him sitting in in his classroom and the teacher is reading out a story about the discovery of Australia um and every word whilst the words terra nullis did not appear in the book that she was reading every word confirmed there was nobody here when when yeah. when white settlers arrived and, and and so he's constantly hearing these subliminal messages to say your heritage, your culture, your language, your people uh, are not important. Um, uh, yeah. And 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 I think even when our leaders say it, we've had a number of our leaders over the last ten years make statements um, that actually reinforce these default stereotypes about who we are as people. Um, and um, and and like, I find it really. Um, you know, when we're surprised by by something, when we see uh, um, someone in a position that they might not normally be in, um, and we we have a reaction to that, we'll let it pass. It'll be a cute moment instead yeah. of actually dealing with it. Um, I, I was watching news the other day, and uh, one of the new reporters from South Australia 
um, I wish I could remember his name, um, is, is a person with disabilities and he, he was conducting his report from, from a wheelchair. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I suddenly went, well, that's, that's different. That's odd. Um, and, and then I went, oh, I've now remembered that there are people in wheelchairs who actually want to be able to do things and live life and, and, and good on him. But I yes. could just as easily fall into a default position and say, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not sure I want to see that. Um, and, and, and maybe that's why um, hiring and directing and all of those kind of things tend not to place people with disabilities, people from different cultures, people who, who will, will provide that, that moment of dissonance. Um, they, they choose not to put those people into um into the in front of the camera they'll put them behind if they're lucky or not at all one of the things that i've grown to own and to love about what i love about that kind of anglo-western culture is that we actually do believe in the value of every single human being and we believe in the the opportunities are there and the world is your oyster and you need to just take those opportunities and i think I'm, my hope and my prayer about that is, and, and what I'm trying to live that out in what I do every day in my life and my work, is actually take the valuable thing of that and not go, it's actually not just about people who are like me that yep. I believe that. It's actually, I believe that for every single human being that I meet. And and though being uncomfortable of those moments and realising that, you know, I'd made assumptions about people and, you know, I'd realised that, you know, for me, education is really important and, you know, studying at university is a privilege and an honour and, you know, you must be a very, you know, awesome person if you do that. Well, actually, there's lots of things, people that are amazingly intelligent and awesome in life, but they don't necessarily... Um, they don't have those things and that doesn't make them any less wise it doesn't make them any you know less brilliant it just means they've used a different system you know and how do we actually start to learn to value that and listen to that and be present and patient with that you know yeah it's it's a long journey but you know i i'm intentionally trying to go that walk right now because i know i am becoming a better human being for the journey like and and you know for me it's about seeing god's kingdom come like that's what this is about is that you know i take my my individualistic theology and put it on my understanding of faith and i see that i think god actually looks at every human being and believes they have the potential to live the life that he, god's called them to you know and and so i will do what i'm called to do to help that bring that about and i love learning that well, actually, other people see what we read in the Bible and hear it from a different perspective and, and see that their way of calling is actually, no, I don't go forward or you individuals don't go forward. Actually, we do it together. It, we're only going forward when we're doing it together. And so just learning so much and learning so much about the richness of what God has brought about in this world and what the kingdom of God could look like if we actually are patient and humble enough to try and explore that from another's shoes you know and it's in those moments where we get it wrong that we have the greatest capacity to learn how to get it right yeah if if we'll allow ourselves to stay in that moment i, I didn't yeah. i didn't expect when i was doing my stuff that the, the cute moment comment was actually going to be so important but i'm really grateful for nana visitor for speaking up in there because because 
in those moments where where we've got that, we, we have an opportunity to actually recognize what makes us feel uncomfortable about a situation yeah. and, and, and to speak out about it and to say something about it and to, 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 to humble ourselves if we're a person who's actually misusing power um, or to, to call out um, those who are misusing power. Um, if those moments just pass um, and, and we don't, we don't do any more than, 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 you know, feel them as, as awkward moments then we miss the opportunity to actually expand our universe and become far more than we thought we were before. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And we miss out on what, what is an amazing life, what is an amazing opportunity. Yeah. I think it ties into that, what is it called, the Dunning-Kruger effect, um, the, the effect where when I don't know very much about something, I can make myself an absolute authority on it. But the moment I begin to investigate, I discover the absolute massive amount that I know nothing about. And so, so, so I have a choice then to actually open that door, that Pandora's box of insecurity and discover that I'm actually a complete novice in a massive universe or to actually retreat back into my comfortable world and actually say, no, I'm, I'm going to remain an expert of the little I know. Um, and, and I think, I think um, that that's, that's a really important thing to acknowledge that, that yeah. when something threatens our opinion or our stereotypes or our understanding of the world, that it's actually time for us to not run away from that threat, but to actually allow it to, 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 to transform us. Yeah. And, and like resist the urge to go bolshy, like resist the urge to just dig our toes in and try and, no, 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 I know best about this, but yep. actually take a deep breath and go, okay, there's something I'm missing here. What can I learn from this? You know, yeah, totally different way to live our life, that's for sure. Yep. So fortunately, um, they did manage to stop the cascade of reactionism <laughs> that was causing them to lose the station, which means that we do get to continue on with the episodes of Deep Space Nine next week. Um, and, um, and that's absolutely fantastic. Um, we, we do actually get um, to, to glimpse, as we've said, uh, the beginnings of this, this really awful relationship between um, uh, Gold Ducott and Major Kira and also the antagonistic, almost sibling rivalry relationship between Garak and Gold Ducott. And yeah. I think for the first time, we've glimpsed Ducott a couple of times on our way through, um, and we know that he was in charge of the station and that we, we think badly of him because he was part of a system that was oppressing and stealing from the, um, from the Bajoran people. But this is the point where we begin to see that beyond just being a Cardassian... There's something very, very evil about Goldicott. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's beginning to be painted as, as a baddie. Um, he he's becoming the the Darth Vader, um, <laughs> of 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 Star Trek. Uh, it, to uh, to to slip into the Star Wars realm. Well, and you know, I don't want to be a spoiler, but we think he's bad, and then. You know, there's more trouble on the horizon. You know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and look, when we get the partnership, and this is a big spoiler later on, we get the partnership between Kai 
uh, Opaka, who we've already talked about in our previous episodes, um, and Gold Ducott, we end up with with some some real power sharing that's yeah. actually really oppressive, um, and 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 some systemic abuse of power um, that that goes beyond just individual ego, but actually about. Uh, and, and it becomes a, a, a spiritual darkness. Uh, it goes beyond just the politics. Ducat becomes a, a, a demonic figure um, in in the story of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And the slippery slope that that is, where it starts and where it ends up. Yep. Yeah. Well, we get our first glimpse of it today. Well, that, yeah. that's been fabulous. Um, there's so much in that episode. Um, there, there's a couple of little trivia things I just wanted to um, to draw attention to. Um, uh, from the very beginning, there was a disagreement between René Aubergine, who uh, plays um, uh, Odo, uh, and yeah. the wardrobe department. Um, there was a sense in which they, he, they, they had drawn him with a belt and he didn't want to wear a belt. Um, he felt that the belt made him look too, um, uh, what was the word, Flash Gordon. Um, he really was, <laughs> was, was very uncomfortable with the utility belt. Um, and so in this episode, he just forgot to put it on. And so he oh, is, right. he is beltless in this episode. Um, <laughs> and, um, after being interviewed, uh, he, he did confess that his forgetting to put it on was an act of intentional rebellion with the wardrobe department. <laughs> um, don't you love those passive aggressive responses when we can't get what we want? <laughs> He can, he continues to not wear his belt from this point onwards into the future of Deep Space Nine, but it's <laughs> not until the episode Crossfire, which is several episodes on, that the writers finally picked up on it and decided to get Kira to mention that he's no longer wearing his belt. So um, there we go. We've got the controversy of Odo's belt in this episode. Um, yeah. So look, there's there's um. There's there's always lots of fun stuff to talk about, and I'm really grateful uh, that we were able to stop and and take advantage of the privilege it is to to um to to talk about Star Trek for a while, Karen. To talk life and to talk Star Trek, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> no, it's good. Well, look, this has been the Deep Faith Nine podcast. Um, we are launching our Patreon site this week, so that does give you the opportunity to support us. Uh, there are some goodies in the tiers, so it's worth having a look at. The Patreon site is called Never Odd or Even, and Never Odd or Even um, is um, supported or, or promoted through the oddrev.com website. Um, the, the podcast is now, as you may have noticed, being broadcast also under the name of Never Odd or Even Faith and Fiction, and that's because there are now more than one podcast. Uh, and in fact, uh, we've had a request come in via email in the last week uh, that during the off season later on in the year probably september october um that we actually uh cover some of the marvel uh cinematic universe um, and, and have a look at some <laughs> of the things there uh, and so i'm already um putting the feelers out to see who might be available to to come out and guest on that as we talk through uh the the rich um uh, theology and spirituality that exists within the marvel cinematic universe so Absolutely. There's, there's some things um, to think about to come. Um, yeah. I would love it if um, as many of you as possible uh, would help me out by going along to my SoundCloud site where I upload the podcast and liking and subscribing there. It helps with my analytics and, uh, and making sense of what's going on, as well as going along and leaving a like or a comment on the oddrev.com 
um, um, WordPress site as well. Um, just because I know you're out there, um, but I'd love to get to know you better. Um, and uh, so if, if you'd like to become a part of this, uh, this community um, that's, that's open to discussing science fiction, faith and fiction, um, then uh, take the next step and make yourself known um, so that we can, uh, we can get to know you better. Um, well, this has been the Deep Faith Nine podcast. I've been Will Nicholas and uh, look forward to catching up with you in next week's episode with a special guest. I uh, won't say any more than that at the moment. Uh, Meridian. Uh, until then, um, live long and prosper.